Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. We had uh, a bit of a problem connecting today. The Skype lines at Blog Talk Radio are down, but I think we're live and on the air now, so that's cool. We just lost about a minute of airtime. So I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm also really happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. And um, the show is also available on Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, and on Stitcher, as well as on the iTunes podcast channel, so there are lots of ways to listen, which is great. I created this show, as the intro says, to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Something I've been thinking about the last a few months, and I'm putting it out there, and that is this. Every spiritual act is an act of defiance in a materialistic world. So you can think about that and how that applies to you. Please do call in with questions and comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers, and the live chat room is open. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions for a particular guest. You can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatin.com. And Tracy is T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some fascinating guests are coming on, although next week I'll probably take off. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistinkers.com, and the Blog Talk radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted and honored today to have artist Rex Hausman. Contemporary artist Rex Hausman is a San Antonian who started his art education at the University of Texas at San Antonio, graduating from the Savannah College of Art and Design on scholarship with a BFA in painting. Since then, Rex has been traveling the world and is currently on a fellowship to receive his Master's of Fine Art from the Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, His artist statement remains simple, grow where you are planted, displayed behind um, some flowers on the front of his family buildings at the Houston Millwork, a creative community in downtown San Antonio. 
Rex has shown and lectured nationally and internationally, appearing in many speaking functions, including TEDx San Antonio at Trinity University, McNay Museum of Art, the San Antonio Museum of Art, and the University of Texas at San Antonio, as well as the Spencer Museum of Art. He has shown work at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., the Institute of Texan Cultures, Neiman Marcus, the Lawrence Arts Center, and the Cloister at Sea Island Resort. He has spoken on national public radio many times across the United States. His home base remains in San Antonio, Texas, at the House of Millwork, a creative community where he gardens, teaches, and paints daily and enjoys a cigar with friends every so often. You can find out more about Rex at RexHouseman.com. Rex, hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tracy. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your patience while I had to connect and reconnect. So um, I'm glad to have you. Glad to be here. So here is my usual opening. I just want to make sure. Can you hear me, Rex? I can. You're fine. There's a bit of an echo, but we're good. All right. So here's my usual opening question for my guests because it situates listeners into who you are and what you're about, and that is this. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved with the arts? What's a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So start with your childhood and lead up till now. Okay. Well, I started painting and drawing really Honestly, at age three, um, my mom and my dad, uh, my dad's a furniture designer and my mom rides horses and my brother plays about 15 instruments. So I grew up in a very creative environment. Um, I remember my mom and my dad would run us to every museum you can possibly imagine, um, wherever we were, uh, in the U S or the world, we visited really obscure small museums like the CB's museum, uh, or large museums like the metropolitan, um, So growing up, my brother and I had a very, very creative family. Um, We grew up around a small business family. Um, So my mom and my dad uh, built and grew a a small architectural two-man shop to about 42 employees um, and did projects for the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., the Downtown Library in San Antonio, and a number of other places. So my brother and I grew up in and around a small business environment. Um, with a lot of culture around us. Um, uh, As I kind of grew up, um, I would draw on everything I could get my hands on. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a really, really heavy dyslexic. Um, So writing and school were kind of hard for me. Um, And it's something I often talk about, which was I didn't find a, a whole lot of, I found a whole lot of work with not a whole lot of reward in grade school. Um, but there was one particular class that I loved, which was art. Uh, there was a teacher named Gail Smith, um, who I still talk to today. And she would sit me in the corner and say, you're a studio student. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, um, you go just figure out your own stuff. And I've pretty always much stayed in that corner. Um, I, uh, paint and drew um, when I was about 15 and sold my first painting and won some prizes. And, and uh, that kind of is my early life. I did what most kids do. I played hockey and, you know, sports and ran around with my friends. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was growing up. Um, And then going into college, I was actually a business student um, with university of Texas, San Antonio. And I found that I kept finding more of the same. I kept working really, really, really hard and only getting C's and B's. Um, 
at, you know, I knew the professors by first name. I knew where their offices were, and I would always visit them. And they'd be like, Rex, you can't have any more office visits because you keep maxing them out. <laughs> you keep asking for help on the papers and stuff. And I'm like, I know, I know, but I really want to do well. And so I remember specifically um, – is this too much detail or is this no, too interesting? No, Okay, I think a lot of people relate to this, you know, and I just, I kept banging my head up against the wall, and I specifically remember saying, isn't art, isn't college supposed to be what you're good at, and I walked out to my mom, she was taking care of her horses, and I said, mom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch to be an art major, and I said, I'm selling some paintings right now, I'm, I'm getting commissions on drawings and stuff, and and I think this is what I really want to do. As a matter of fact, I've signed up for my first classes. And my mom looked at me and said, well, honey, if anybody can do it, you can. And coming from a small business family, that was a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, like, that affirmation from my mom and that affirmation from my dad was a really big deal. I could throw myself into this thing full bore. And I remember the first day of classes in art school, my dad said, Rex, take a portfolio. And I said, well, what's a portfolio? He said, just go print out all the images that you've been selling and the things you've been doing and show it to your professors. And I still remember the professors, Jane Lawrence and uh, another professor. um, He is no longer with us. Um, He was a drawing instructor. And he said, they both said, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? What am I doing here? And they said, we can't teach you more than what you already know here in terms of rendering skills. You need to go to a more national school. Mm. And so I, I said, what's an art school? And uh, they said, you know, they gave me some names and I went, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble. So I went over to Barnes and Noble and I picked up every magazine that said art on it. They, we didn't have Google at that time. I mean, we did, but the internet wasn't what it is today. You know, um, right. I called all, I was still working with my family in the accounting office department, and in between shifts, I would call these schools, and I'd be like, "How do you get to be an art, get into an art school?" And they said, "Well, you got to submit a portfolio." And I went to the container store, and I bought this really cool container, and I made a portfolio with my dad, and they were the portfolios that he would make for his clients, and he, mm-hmm. he still made them himself. So we made these portfolios, and we shotgunned them out to like eight different universities. Long story short, the Savannah College of Art and Design, uh, Philadelphia Academy of the Fine Arts, RISD, uh, Cor- the Corcoran, I mean, all these schools accepted me and started to say, hey, we'll give you a half ride. Hey, we'll give you a three-quarters ride. And then, lo and behold, the Savannah College of Art and Design gave me a, a full ride, and that changed my world. I mean, it really mm. did. Um, I went there, and I am a huge proponent of SCAD. I absolutely love that school. And I think it's the student body that changed me. The professors are dynamite. I mean, don't, I mean, the professors are amazing, but the students are from all over the world. And when I got there in my classrooms, I would be lucky if someone was from the same state, you know, in my classroom. And I was in this environment that just really fostered, like, go for it, creativity, 100%, full on, no ideas too crazy. And that experience really kind of started me into learning. So that's kind of my young life. And how did you get you know, to where you are now? Oh, man. <laughs> that's a long story. So um, the, how I got to where I am now was not glamorous. Um, I graduated with this full scholarship. 
uh, I came home, I opened a gallery that was $1,200 a month in rent. And in Texas, in San Antonio, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, opened this gallery, sold some paintings, supported the gallery for nine months. And then what happened is I, I closed the gallery. I had made just enough money to support it. And it's an interesting story. At the end of one thing, another thing starts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished that. And I was in Bernie, which is right outside of San Antonio. And I would be calling all the museums, all the, the gallerists, all the critics. And they got to know me over this year-long period, basically. And they were like, well, Rex, we love what you're doing because I was bringing in my professors from Savannah. Um, mm-hmm. I was bringing in friends that I met at SCAD. So I was bringing in all this talent and these interesting people and funding it myself and throwing lectures at the library. I mean, anywhere I could talk about art, I would. And um, then uh, I kind of closed that and said, hey, Mom, Dad, would you guys mind if I use the old accounting office that nobody uses? And I said, sure, honey, go for it. You know, just clear out some boxes and move stuff around. So I, I took this space that I said I didn't want any water. I didn't want any electricity. I just wanted to keep it bare bones, and I wanted it to be about the work. And so I started to throw anything, any kind of party, any kind of function um, that could get people out. And I found that all the critics and all the museum people in San Antonio knew who I was by the time I got back downtown. And then it started this like epicenter. I remember there's a story of um, Jasper Johns was met by Leo Castelli on the way to Robert Rauschenberg's studio. Um, and I remember that, and I had met one of my friends, David Almaguer, who still has a studio with us nine years later today. I'm actually going to have lunch with him today. Um, Almaguer, I, I put his painting right next to the bathroom, and I had met him at a thing called Luminadia. Um, and as the critics would come by and the collectors, they'd say, who's that? And I said, that's my friend David. And uh, they said, well, can I buy one of those too? And I was like, absolutely. And so yeah. all of a sudden, David's work started to sell, and that – started to pick up and we have in our family's business 44,000 square feet of warehouses and at the time it was still the millworks you know and by the end of that thing like a 40-year career my my mom and my dad were just like we our sons don't want to take over this business we don't really want to do this anymore not that we can't we're just getting we don't want to deal with this the stress all the time and they started to phase out. Well, as that started to phase out, the party started getting bigger and bigger. And we would literally say to someone, one of my friends would be, hey, can I have a studio with you? And we're like, yeah, from the belt sander to the pillar, that's yours, you know. Uh-huh. And we found that after that started to happen, like this mass of people started to keep coming around. You know, it was like the collector of UTSA, uh, Arturo Almeida, would come around. He'd bring some of his friends around. Dr. Romo of UTSA would start coming around. Um, Rene Barrio of the McNay would start coming around. Bill Fitzgibbons of Blue Star would start coming around. And all these people just started coming around because there were all these artists doing all these kooky things. Well, at the same time we're doing all that, I'm still painting. And um, I'm, I'm always I'm, – I'm 100% of my time is art, either art events, art curation – selling paintings, doing projects. And so we start taking it out. Like we start taking this creative community out to Mason, Texas, which is still one of my favorite shows. Uh, One of my buddies who's an architect took over an old warehouse that was an airplane hangar in World War II. And it like had been 
vacant for 30 years. Like nobody knew what to do with this thing. And he worked out some deal with the landlord that said, if you give me rent for $300 every three months, I'll clean up your building for you and I'll throw these art parties. For like a year, we started doing these shows and we would bring our friends from San Antonio out to what you guys would consider Marfa, you know, kind of this small town. There's not a big population and it's really inexpensive to be there. So we were kind of transporting culture out. And then what would happen is my career kept going and I started getting shows in LA and New York and I would bring my friends along with me whenever I could, you know, like I would even have a solo show and then I'd say, Hey, I know some other really great artists and I'd, hand over names to the curator and they'd be like, Oh man, this actually is really good work. And so that started happening. And then I started linking like Kansas city in particular, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, believe it or not, which is amazing. Um, two people named Darren and Shannon white worked closely with the art center and with the um, Lawrence art center and the Spencer museum of art. And we started doing these exchanges. Like we'd keep sending work from San Antonio up to Lawrence or New York artists that I knew and they knew we'd start sending it to Lawrence. And then that started to leapfrog into shows in LA and New York, um, led to a project in China, in Beijing and Hong Kong. And a lot of the friends that I met at SCAD, they started going on and becoming more international. Some of them got some, some jobs in Hong Kong and some of them got some jobs in Georgia and some got jobs in New York. And then all the other people that I'm meeting through projects just creates this perfect storm. And I always believe in like a, a belief of abundance rather than scarcity. So <laughs> it's just like, Hey, if I know some cool critic or I know some cool person, they need to know this cool person. And, you know, nothing's a sure deal, but you always just go like, Hey, if you have some time, you may want to look at this person's work or you really need to meet this person. Here's their cell phone. Tell them I <laughs> gave it to you. And um, so that's really just become like, the ethos of everything I do. And about three years ago, probably one of my favorite projects other than the museum shows, I mean, museum shows are awesome. Don't get me wrong. They're amazing. But one of my favorite shows was a project with Neiman Marcus and it was here in San Antonio. It was a very simple idea. You know, in New York, you have the windows at Bergdorf Goodman, right? You know, everybody mm-hmm. knows about the windows at Bergdorf. Well, I had been like, well, our Bergdorf is Neiman Marcus. So, why can't I put my work in the windows at Neiman Marcus? And there was just an idea. Like, I mean, it was totally an idea, a New York idea that came, you know, that I was thinking about. It's at La Cantera, which is kind of our Fifth Avenue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short, it just happened. And we put this work in the windows, and they had been doing that for a couple years. Um, I think they'd done it with, like, three other artists. But they literally cleared out their merchandise and gave these beautiful, pristine windows with this incredible architecture in the front um, for three weeks. My paintings were there. And what was so cool about that, I still remember the story to this day. I was getting ready for a lecture somewhere. I don't know. In somewhere. I don't know. Um, but I, was getting, I needed a new pair of shoes because I wore mine out. And we went about five stores down. Um, to a shoe shop and this young lady with behind the register said oh my gosh you're that artist Uh, and she said you're that artist with the artwork at neiman marcus i said yeah i put some paintings up she said i really want to say thank you i said sure why and she said i know it probably 
was very difficult to get that project there because Neiman Marcus is such a big name. Um, but I want to say thank you. Even though I don't shop there, my mother used to take me to museums when I was young all the time. And now I work three jobs, so I can't, I don't have the time. But what I would do every lunch break is I would go up to the windows at Neiman Marcus, I'd have a cup of coffee, and I would remember my mom and I going to museums. Oh, and wow. she's like, I Googled you. I looked up everything you've done. Oh, my gosh, this is just so cool. And she gave me 50% off the shoes, which was awesome. <laughs> um, Artists could always but, use the discount. Yeah, man, like I still remember that story. In graduate school, I've been in for about three years, um, Savannah College of Art and Design, again, offered me a full scholarship to come back and study, which I've loved. Like, I can't say enough about SCAD. Um, they did a thing called the low residency um, thing, which is you stay in the hometown you're in. And anybody out there that's looking into an MFA, I would highly suggest this program. Um, yeah. If you have, like, a job and a career and, like, family and a mortgage and all those things, it makes an MFA accessible. Um, and well, so, let, me ask you a, let me ask you a question, Rex. Yeah. So kind of what I've heard from your journey up till now, there's a lot about community building and networking to, into the larger community. So can you talk about being rooted to a place in the community and the house in Millwork? And can you discuss that? Absolutely. I think the reason I've traveled so much, I mean, I've literally been on every continent I can count. I mean, I've done projects in, and this will come back to being rooted in a place, I've done projects in Ireland, um, Italy, Germany, France, uh, 30 of the, no, 20 of the 50 states or so, uh, multiple times, uh, Hong Kong, Beijing, climbed the Great Wall, uh, did water painting in Beijing, which was awesome. That's a really great story. Um, all over Europe. I've just traveled and lectured and, and worked on art a lot. And I always come back home. You know, I've always had a home back in San Antonio. It's where I'm from. And I love New York. New York and Brooklyn are like my second home. I truly love New York and Brooklyn. I can't say enough about them. I've been going up for about 11 years. Um, Always staying with friends, always getting sublets. Sometimes I'd, you know, be in a sublet for three months or so and have a studio. Um, I was actually working on a project to pitch to Bergdorf Goodman that didn't work out. But we almost got there. Um, and, uh, just working on these projects and, and I'd always come back to San Antonio. Everybody that I met, I'd always say, you guys have to come to San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And so in traveling and, and looking, you find that the place you're from really influences you a huge way. I mean, truly it does. Um, I'm from South Texas, you know, barbecue and tacos, you know, um, Lone Star Beer. Hello? You know, it's 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 a really casual environment here. Um, but those things that create that casual nature also in San Antonio we're a highly educated community. I mean we've got so mm. many universities and colleges it's almost hilarious. Like literally you could throw a baseball and hit another university. Um and so in San Antonio we've we very much value education. Um, and I remember my mom was part of a program at UTSA when it first opened. She was part of a, a group of Latino business people that they were trying to send to Stanford. Um, it was either Stanford or Harvard. And they were like, 
how can we as San Antonians send our young people off to be educated and then they come back mm. and then they educate here, you know, so not stay in Connecticut or New York or Boston, but come back and really like reinvest into our community here. And, um, that that's such a wonderful, that's a wonderful idea. That's, I just love that. Oh, it's so cool. And the neat thing about being rooted like here is that you take those experiences from New York, from an education, from the Savannah College of Art and Design, and you bring it back here and you go, guys, there is a bigger world out there. Like, truly, there is. There's more than brisket and tacos, you know. <laughs> there's foie and there's, you know, French press coffee, and there's espresso in Italy. And, I mean, there's a really big world out there. And everybody well, goes, actually, really? Rex, I'm going to go back to another a question you sent me or a note you sent me that I was going to ask about local, national, international, everywhere is the same, except the coffee is better in Italy. The bread wine better in France. The Germans and the Chinese don't know how to make an American burger, though they tried honorably. <laughs> well, I find something, if you look at my website or my projects, I reference food a lot. Um, and I find that food and local, like truly the international language is cuisine. Truly. I mean, Whenever you go somewhere, people are like, oh, my God, I want to try, you know, like if you're in Miami, I want a Cuban sandwich. I want some vacas fritas. I want some plantains. If you're up in New York, I want a bagel. I want a slice of pizza. You know, I want whatever, fine cuisine. If you're in France, I need a baguette. Like, it's really funny. In France, it really is true. That everybody's carrying a baguette for real. Um, and everybody has their little bakery that they go get their baguette at. It's like I was talking with a friend and. They said, in France, good bread is a right. It's not an option. And so when we were in China, we were working on this project with the University of Texas at San Antonio. It was uh, with uh, Al Rendon, Peter Brown, Joel Salcedo, Dr. Romo, and Anson Seal. And it was curated by Arturo Ameda and myself. And when we went over there, there's this joke about um, Chinese food that Everybody, like the Chinese really do eat everything, like every kind of thing that moves, any fish, and they have a way to cook it deliciously. Well, we tried so many different things that I don't I think my mom almost starved for like three days. She's like, I, don't, I can't recognize it. And I'm like, Mom, it's okay. Like, it's some fish that's really good. Just try it. And she's like, But I, I don't know what it is, you know? And so what I've found is every place I've been, people want to show you what they have. You know, they, they really genuinely enjoy, um, like in Germany, beer is a really big deal, you know, um, parks beer and are worst. a really big deal. Yeah. Beer and worse, man. And then like, uh, what are those things? Donor kebabs or, uh, what a curry, what are the little hot dogs with curry on them? Curry worst or something like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then uh, in France, I remember this story. This was so cool. Uh, I was teaching with uh, as a uh, an under teacher or a TA or whatever you call it with a guy named Steve Knitson. Um, he writes in a magazine called Art Pulse. Steve is awesome. If you're listening, Steve, you're a rock star, man. Mm-hmm. Um, he teaches with Savannah College of Art and Design, and they asked me to teach in France at their Lacoste. Uh, school with Steve um, and I was walking with some students some fellow grad students and some undergrads and we went to this little bakery and we didn't have much money and we talked with the garçon 
and we said, we're artists. That's the most beautiful sandwich I've ever seen. And he didn't speak English and I didn't speak French. So I drew a picture of the sandwich for him and he went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he gave us all a sandwich and we're uh. like, well, we don't have the money to pay for it. And he said, don't worry about it. You, you, you gave me a drawing. And it was the most delicious sandwich I've ever had. If you look on my, my website, go to the project called uh, Lacoste. And in the painting, you'll see this giant sandwich on the left. Um, and so I've found that even though I'm in a different location, a different piece of earth, a different part of the earth, um, really everybody just wants to connect. I mean, they really do. Like language barriers kind of drop and it's about family. It's about people. It's about something as simply as simple as like shared time over coffee. And that's really, or tea. Um, I've got mm-hmm. some great stories of Africa and African tea. Well, we Rex, have to remember gonna, in the West that the East likes Rex, tea. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute you for just a second. I'm gonna put on my pre-recorded commercial about my books for 30 seconds. Okay, hang okay. on, we'll be right yeah. back to you. When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatton is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags-to-riches to burnt-at-the-stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSlatton.com. Rex? Yeah. Okay, we're back. I wanted to ask you about something I saw on your website, um, and that is you wrote something about how art is a conversation. Can you talk about that? Right. Well, I think, like, if you go critically into art, there's a movement called relational aesthetics, which kind of got some flack recently. Um Artists like uh, Ragnar Karajic, I can't pronounce his name, Ragnar K. Uh, he was in the Venice Biennale recently. Um, and then guys like Maurizio Catalan or uh, Nicholas Boriard, he's a, a science fiction author that decided to, I guess, go into art criticism or whatever. Um, and an artist named Daniel Burin, a French artist, they all kind of use the idea of a conversation as a work of art itself, you know, like, um, it's really, really cool. Like I remember I was in New York with a friend, John Cowan, um, who's still a friend today. He and his wife, Vanessa live in Washington Heights and speaking on conversation. I remember when I first started to go to New York in like 2005, 2006, I would always crash on the Cowan's couch for however long they, they were so gracious uh, John and Vanessa would always let me just sleep there and then go do my meetings or my museum trips or whatever. And what I would do is the last day, I didn't have a whole lot of money left over, but I could afford like a six pack of donuts and a, some coffee. And John and I would go get a donut and a cup of coffee and we'd talk. And I still remember like looking out over Washington Heights over the Hudson, there's this little porch. We would either smoke cigarettes and cigars on his fire escape or go out to this little porch and we'd always talk about art and ideas. And I always found that I think my work has always stayed there. Um, it's always stayed over this conversation. You know, I'm not going to, there's an, uh, an author named David Hickey who said in his book, air guitar, um, uh, I wouldn't just, if I saw something interesting, I wouldn't just write notes down in my little notebook and write a paper. 
I would call some friends and see what they thought. And so I think that a lot of my work deals with that. Well, what do you think? You know, um, if you look at a, again, the project called the processional, um, it's more than a painting. Um, the painting itself, I went over to France for 10 weeks and it was with SCAD. Um, and I went to Lacoste saying, not what can I take away from this place, but what can I add to it? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is I started, like, we had gone to Europe the week before. Um, we had had kind of a life-altering situation happen about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and we decided my brother, I got a shout-out to my brother, Eric Hausman. He's a total rock star. He and his wife, Daisha. Um, Eric had gotten a scholarship at the Balioni School uh, for business in Milan, and he got a, a it's, I think it's called like a university fellows program or something. He works for Deloitte International. And uh, he got this really prestigious little award. Um, and he got to go spend six months in Milan. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't cool. want to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's paid for, you know. And so we said we are going to go meet Eric in Milan a year after this incident happened. And we're going to celebrate with him on his birthday. And um, so we all went over there and we toured Europe for like four or five weeks. And I was in Barcelona with my family, uh, a good friend, Mike Mbimbo and Lee Mbimbo, they're architects here in San Antonio. Um, Mike and Lee said, wait till you see Gaudi. And I was like, who's Gaudi? And they're like, just wait till you see him. And so I was walking along in Barcelona with my family and I saw the Sagrada Familia and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I found out actually Gaudi was a dyslexic. So... Mm-hmm. When I was in, that was in the summertime. And then in the fall, to that, like this past fall, I was in Provence, in Lacoste. It was amazing. Like Martin Scorsese, I think, lives over to the left. And John Malkovich was like right over to the right. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, this place is insane. Um, it's like perfect. And when I went there, I was like, oh, Sagrada Familia, architecture, you know, people are in the building. The building are the people, centers of cities, whatever. And I was with uh, some professors, one guy named Patrick Huey, who teaches with Savannah College of Art and Design, and Steve Knudsen, uh, and then another guy named Ryan Baca. Um, and the three of them kind of created this trinity of nuttiness. Um, and then there was a, another professor um, who's really, really cool, Murphy, Professor Murphy, and then Tim Keating. And these five professors really influenced me a lot. You know, they were really cool, cool people. And then some other people, Bruno Pito, um, Jean-Pierre Slowhart, who kind of is overseeing the whole project. A guy who's a gardener named Finn, who should be like a poet laureate. You got you to gotta interview Finn, straight up. Finn's amazing. He's a gardener right, Rhett, that's a poet. Rhett, let me anyway. ask you a question, because you're kind of all over the map. What you really yeah. love to show is your drawings. How are they the key to painting? How are they the key to all art? Well, this all loops into the all over the map thing, right? What I did is I took a, a little Moleskine around with me every day. And this loops back into Lacoste. Sorry, I'm trying to bring it back around. Um, I would draw in my books every day. And every day I would draw, I would paint on this big centralized painting. So the painting itself started to mirror the daily life of every day, like whatever little adventure we would have. And the painting started to change. 
And the drawings that I did really were the painting. And what was cool about the drawings, I can draw incredibly quickly. And so I was trying to teach with Steve quick drawing. And everybody started to like just draw everything. So I found that, again, we go back to the conversation. We go back to the fire escape. We go back to the donut and the coffee, right? Like this painting, these drawings, wherever I am, there's a giant conversation happening. And I would hope that painting mirrors that. Um, And to do that, you have to live every day just to its fullest with whoever you're around. And so my drawings, I draw very quickly. I always have ever since I was like five. Seriously, it's it's kind of a crazy thing. I remember Renee Barrio, who's the chief curator of the McNay here in San Antonio, where I had a show about a year year ago, year and a half ago. Um, Renee said, Rex, the thing I love is your drawings. And so did a guy named Arturo Almeida, who's a curator with UTSA. All the curators have been looking at my drawings. Um, Another curator named Anna Slohart, who is with San Antonio Museum of Art up until recently, looked at my little books from Europe and said, oh, my gosh, these books themselves are a work of art. And I was like, well, aren't they studies for, like, bigger paintings? They're like, no, these are this very interesting rambling autobiography through full drawings. And then you, like, write in calligraphy and you do different things and – so I've got like 20 of these books that I've been making forever. Um, and they're handmade books, basically. You've got like train tickets. You've got pictures of cathedrals. You've got sometimes paintings and watercolors and then bus maps. And they're all linear. But you could pick them up at any time and look at them as a solid piece of art, you know. So, so let me ask I you think- another question. What are some of the major challenges you've faced in your work so far? And what are some of the major rewards? Let's start with the challenges. Oh, my gosh. It's like Gerhard Richter says painting is a, a language and language is a language. You know, like written language. Like, those are two very different things. So, what I've found amazing, like, the past 10 weeks, I've written, like, a 70-page thesis, which was only supposed to be 18 pages. Um, but I'm dyslexic. And anybody, I'm I'm sure you've gotten the notes from me or the emails. My spelling is atrocious. I spell phonetically. I don't spell, you know, like normal grammar. There's actually a curator named Max Presniel in L.A. He's with the Torrance Museum. Shout out to Max. Max said, Rex, you know, honestly, I think the biggest work of art is your spelling. And I'm like, Max, you're making fun of me? And he's like, well, sort of, but not really. I mean, it really is unique. And so... I think my greatest challenge has been from the beginning explaining to people the way that I think, and it's always misunderstood because I can't spell. And I mean, if you, if you see, if you see any email or manuscript that I make, because I've got about six or seven books now, um, they're awful. I mean, it just, it takes just like this conversation is all over the place. Like my writing is all over the place. It's, one guy was with the museum said, you're like Jack Kerouac, you know, rambling on the open ro- road meets, uh, you know, Ulysses. <laughs> like, are you serious? You mean like, so not only is it like a rambling thing that makes no sense, like nobody can understand it. He's like, sort of, but it makes sense somehow, you know? And that's well, why where, I reference art as a conversation. 
let me ask you, where do you see your work in five years, in 10 years, and in 20 years? Start with five years. In five years, in in three months, I'm going to finish this MFA. You know, um, I've got a, a show across from City Hall in San Antonio at Public Art San Antonio. Um, in five years, I really can't project that far. Um, I would hope to be still showing in museums and still working on projects. Um, I love the idea of accessibilities. That's why I like windows a lot. Um, that's what I was trying to shoot for with the windows at Bergdorf. Um, was meeting people on their level with creativity um, and kind of away from the context of the white box. I don't really know what that looks like yet. Um, it turned into a processional in Lacoste. In 10 years, I'll probably still be meeting with the same people and doing the same things just on a bigger scale. Um, I love painting large. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing in the world. Um I remember specifically a friend of mine in Hong Kong, Anan Lu, who runs a gallery called Gallery Exit. Um, he said, paint a 12-foot painting and just go into your own world. And so I did, and that was the Neiman Marcus project called Cat's Donut Starships and Ideals. And then after that, I created the show for the McNay, which was after a life-altering incident, literally, um, so and what about your long-term goals? What about your long-term goals, like in 20 years, 25 yeah, years? I, I really love teaching a lot, um, but I, lo- I don't like teaching from a book. Um, I would like to teach as an artist, meaning like I just keep working on the projects at the Millworks um, with my family, and then maybe we have a, another space in New York um, and another space um, somewhere else. So it's an exchange of studios to studios. Um, I would hope that I keep painting and keep making work because that's really how I think. That's how I make a living. Uh, and then I hope to teach a little bit, probably on a university level, but not in like a faculty capacity, more like a visiting artist capacity. And then I love teaching here at the mill. Um, we wanted to start a little school called the Atelier. Right now it's called Mr. Miyagi at the Millworks, which is like little grasshopper, you know, karate kid and I've taught everyone from eight years old to 85 years old in the past year which is something I never saw coming like I never thought I would be a teacher ever let me ask you what are some of the best tools you found on to help you on your path of being an artist and um, creating a community of artists throughout the world what are some of your best tools be really accessible all the time and don't limit your language, like learn to people's languages. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And like, if I'm speaking with a bunch of graffiti artists, I'm not going to talk about relational aesthetics. You know, like I'm not going to talk like an MFA talks. I'm going to talk like a normal person talks. Oh, your colors are really cool. The movement's really cool. Um, if I'm speaking with a bunch of PhDs, yeah, I'll start talking about Buren and all the, whatevers, you know, that I need to talk about to back what I call justifying your existence. Um, If I'm talking with art collectors, I'll talk, you know, the world of the art market, you know. Um, Okay, so speaking speaking someone's language, remaining accessible, what else? Um, Best tools to help you on your path. (laughs) Know all the good cheap restaurants? (laughs) 
and get to know the waiters, you know, like, because they'll always point out the best thing on the, on the menu for you. Um, be as honest as you can. Like, don't, don't try to impress people. Just be yourself. But to do that, you have to find out who you are first. So, like, I obviously didn't fit into business school, so I went to the art school. And I went from a 2.75 GPA to a 4.0 in Dean's List in the first quarter. Wow. Um, I mean, in the first semester. That's a big deal. I mean, that's like I had never, ever, ever experienced that kind of gratification for something you do naturally. So I would say to anybody, and it doesn't really matter what your age is, figure out the way that you think. And then find out, okay, that's cool that you think that way. But now go a step further and see that how, how that applies to others. How do others find value in that? And really seek after that. The Greek said, know thyself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to know what makes you tick. And to do that, you really have to dig deep within yourself. And I don't know. And, and that means like you have a supporting structure around you. That could be a spouse. That could be a significant other. That could be uh, your family, your close friends, like whoever you really know and who knows you, you need to ask them like, who am I really? You know, like, what do I do well that I don't even know I do? And they'll probably be like, oh, you know that that time or this thing, or you're always so blah, 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 blah. Like, listen to them. They're really telling you who you are. And then you say to yourself, like, oh, wow, okay, well, I don't even think about that stuff. Well, try to see how that facilitates to other people, you know. For me, it's painting, mm-hmm. but I'm not just a painter. Like, I love philosophy, always have. I read Plato's The Republic for fun when I'm, like, 14, you know, like, um, so, Rex, let me so, ask you, who inspires you? Who are your models? Well, if you look in, like, just normal, general, everyday, like Winston Churchill, um, KBO, you know, um, I think a lot um, about spirituality. Um, I think a lot. I read the Bible a lot. Um, I read a lot of scripture. I, li- I read a lot of um, philosophy. Um I read a lot about uh, world leaders, um, Robert E. Lee, which was, he was an amazing guy. Um, I just can't imagine how you would have so much courage to say, like, I've got to go to war against all my buddies. This is nuts, you know, and lose. Like, I think he knew he was going to lose, um, but he still did it anyway. Um, I read a lot. I find a lot of encouragement from filmmakers like Akira Kurosawa. Uh, that guy was amazing. I think he really believed that he was a samurai. Um, I think when you see Kurosawa's films, you see like in Yojimbo or you see in Kagemusha, you see something a whole lot more complicated than just a cool film. Like yeah. you see an identity of a people. Um, in Gaudi, when you look at Gaudi's structures in Barcelona, Gaudi was so rooted to his community. He loved Catalonia like he's like this is the center of the universe and that's that um George Melies another French filmmaker um not another but a French filmmaker probably the 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 father of modern film that guy was so creative like if any of you guys are into creativity and kind of goofiness and wackiness you really need to go watch George Melies early films um that guy was unabashedly amazed in everything I think when I talk to my generation, if you saw the film, I mean, the music video by Smashing Pumpkins, Tonight Tonight, they're directly referencing Milliers' Trip to the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what was so cool is like his girlfriend was his shooting star in the films, you know? Um, and then in terms of painting, I like actually more conceptual artists. I like Daniel Buren. Um, I love a guy named Tom Friedman, who's incredible. A thousand hours of staring is probably one of the greatest pieces ever. Um, and I let hope me that, ask and then, you, like, let me ask you another question. What do you like yeah. most about what you do? And what do you like least about what you do? What do you like most? And what do you like least? Work. I hate paperwork with a passion. Paperwork is the bane of existence. Like I hate. Do you paperwork. have any just, strategies? Do you have any strategies for getting through paperwork when you're confronted yes. with it? Editors, like keep it short, <laughs> keep it simple, and have a lot of friends. You know, like it literally took. I, I have to say thank you publicly to Richard Tights, to Nestor Reyes, Paul Martin, Bergen Streetman and my family for putting up with my insanity of my thesis. Like really, and, and I really want to say this, you have to have this community around you. Um, Bergen, Nestor has met with me once every week for 10 weeks for six hours on end. Um, Richard Tice right, so just you, gave me some of the, so and you Carrie, just like, Carrie is, you just like paperwork. What do you like most about what you do? Painting. Oh my gosh. Painting. Uh, Carolyn Nelson, sorry, Carrie's at SCAD. She's a great editor. I love painting every day, and I love painting where people can see me paint because in the millworks, like when you come into my studio, you have to kind of pass my studio to get to other studios. And it's a kind of a double-edged sword because everybody's really social here. We try to foster that environment of acceptance and creativity, and like that's what you're supposed to do here. So, like, for instance, yesterday, I think I spent from – eight o'clock in the morning till four o'clock, literally either on the phone, in emails, correcting a thesis paper, meeting oh, with okay, the city, so that finalizing is, is that plans. Is part of what you like least about it? How is that part of painting? It's not, not least. You just have to deal with it. Like it's but when you're it. actually painting, when you're painting and you're not um, interacting socially with other people, what's it like for you? What's your experience in the moment of painting? It's like a Kurosawa film. Like, in particular, if you watch Akira Kurosawa's um, Kagemusha and you see the dream sequence, there's this samurai that's chasing this other dude around. Well, I'd kind of do, do you feel like you're in a dream? Yeah, I don't care about Kurosawa right now. I care about you. Do you feel like you're uh, yeah, in a dream? I'm, I'm in a dream sequence. It's like a trance. It's weird. Like time melts away like Dolly's clocks. Like it, it literally doesn't exist. And so, like, I'll get in there, and I love painting big paintings. I love painting paintings that surround me, you know, like Monet's uh, paintings at the La Orangerie. Okay, like, so where in your body do you feel the dream sequence? Like, does it take over your hands? Is it in your heart? Is it in your brain? Is it in the whole man. It's every Well, like, this morning, I'm working on this big painting, and I woke up and I had a cup of coffee and I looked at the sunrise and I went, oh, my God, that's exactly what I need to capture today. And then I was taking my walk with my dog and I looked at a little cactus and I went, that's the sunlight that I need to capture in my painting. And then when I'm thinking, I'm very much into the experience of what you're doing. So when I'm painting this series on the five missions, I visited the five missions, kind of doing a pilgrimage. And I remember being on the phone with Paul Martin, and I was going to do two a day. And he said, okay, you need let to me give ask him the you a question. Let's, oh. let's, ask, let's move on. 
What's a fun fact people might not know about you? Uh, I love really cheap diners. <laughs> I mean, they're Me like too. the coolest place like in the world. Too. They are. Oh, I my agree. God. I would much rather be at a cheap diner than a five-star hotel. You know, like, I'm dead serious. Like, I grew up around mill workers and real, like, salt-of-the-earth people. And so that's where I'm comfortable. Um, and so whenever I go to a cheap diner, I love the coffee and I love the pancakes. Like, oh, yeah. I know breakfast it's not at good a cheap diner. You. Breakfast at a cheap diner yeah, with eggs and pancakes. Is that, like, the best thing? Right? Uh, like, there was a place in Brooklyn um, on uh, Dean Street called Nick's. It was on the corner. It was, like, Dean Street and Flatbush. And it's closed now. But I could get, like, a cup of coffee and a stack of pancakes and bacon for three bucks. In 2012. Come on. Like, that's amazing. And I just love Nick's, you know? Or I love, like, um, John's Pizza over on West 4th. Um Anyway, just like so. Let me ask you: places where people go, you know. What do you do in your spare time besides socialize? I know you're very invested in your community of friends and artists, and but what do you do in your spare time when you're alone? I love to read, like reading or films, and I watch the same films over and over and over again. Like I think I've seen Ronin with Robert De Niro like thirty times at least, you know, and then. Um, like Lost in Translation, yeah, Sofia Coppola's thing. I think I've seen that like 30 times. I watch these movies on characters and people obsessively. And then I read. Like I love to read. And does your, your dyslexia hamper you when you're reading or you find you're able to work with it? I think I pushed through it, man. Like I think I pushed through it a long time ago. And I read – okay, like when I got into grad school, right, I spent – all day at the studio, and then I went straight to the library. And I would read every book of every show I had seen for the past eight years. If I saw the show, I would go check out the book at the Gen Library at SCAD. Like, uh-huh. uh, and I found that, like, whatever – and I wouldn't read, like, the critical stuff. No offense to critics. Like, I love critics, but I wanted to read the artists' interviews. I wanted to read what the artists had to say. And it was always in an interview format. It was like this. You'd ask a question, I'd respond. It wasn't like, let me set out what I'm going to do. Like an All artist, right, it was a conversation. We have, we have a couple minutes left. Um, so okay. what are some things you would say to future artists right now? What are you going to tell them? Man, I would say, like, starting out or, like, established or what? Both. Um, start with starting off. Starting out, I'd say save your money for the love. <laughs> like, buy big canvases buy good artwork and don't spend it on stuff that doesn't matter. Still shop at Ross and JC Penny. I still shop at JC Penny. You know, like, I mean, don't spend money on stuff you don't need to spend money on plane tickets to museums, like, and learn about them and go to New York and go to LA and get out there. Like go meet the world. Don't wait for the world to meet you. Um, I'd that's, say that's good advice. Artists, that's good advice. Oh, what else? Um, to establish artists, I'd say, guys, let's, you know, if you're established, reach out to some younger artists and be cool with them. Like, really open up whatever opportunities you can. Maybe, like, you don't need that show, but somebody else does. And say, 
hey, I can't accept this, but you know what? I know this guy that can or this lady that can, you know? Um, and I'd say to everybody in general, man, like, just because you're an artist doesn't mean you're like this super enlightened elite. Like, we're just people, man, just like everybody else, you know? We may mm-hmm. think of things in a different way, but everybody's got to pay bills and everybody's got to eat food, you know? And everybody's got to put their shoes on or sandals if it's too hot. You know? Before we go, Rex, would you please share with us where listeners can find out more about you and your work and how they can reach out to you? Well, um, go to my website, rexhausman.com, and you can email me through that. Um, my email is rex underscore hausman at yahoo.com. Um, look us up on the Millworks. I, we're down at 925 West Russell in San Antonio, Texas. I'm here pretty much every day with my family or our studios. Um, oh, and spell your a, website. Spell your website for the listeners. Uh, yeah, it's uh, www.rexhausman, R-E-X-H-A-U-S-M-A-N-N.com. And it was designed by my brother's wife, Daisha, who is awesome at web design. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, and then just email me through the website if you want to get a hold of me. I have a show across from City Hall with Public Art San Antonio, July 7th. And I have a lecture in Colorado Springs late July. And then I have a show in Savannah in August, in mid-August. We're still kind of iffy on the dates, but it'll be on a weekend. Um, so and, you can find me at Savannah College dates, of Art and Design. Are all those dates on your website? Uh, I don't think so, but we've got, like, a constant contact that I can send out. Maybe I could ask Daisha to put something up of, like, current events. Probably good, yeah. Um, good to have a current event page on your website. So I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You were amazing. You had so much to say and so much given us so much to think about. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Bye, Rex. Bye-bye. So that was the one and only artist, Rex Hausman, who was a terrific interview. Um, And I want to encourage listeners to go to rexhausman.com to learn more about him and his work. Um, and to everyone who's listening, thank you so much for joining us. Come back next or two weeks from now. Thanks again. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.